brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Marvel heroes, that those are the scientist guys that work for Modoc. Yeah. And when they die, they say shit like, I should have stayed at Google. <laughs> the best, though, my favorite is, I didn't know I was expendable. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode five of All Comics Considered home of the K-value, and all things positive in the world of comic books. My name is Marty, and you can find me at Officer Gleason on Twitter.com. I'm Hannah, and you can find me at TotallyRogue on Twitter.com. And I'm Nick, and you can find me at Out of the Vault on Twitter. Today we're going to talk about everything from our, cla- our own favorite classic stories to a certain publishing house that is just skyrocketing and making us more broke than normal. To get things started, we're going to talk about some of our favorite stories and classic trades. The rule is it has to be at least five years old. Uh, so it can't be anything that's recently been done. And it can be from any publication. So Hannah, why don't you go first? What's your favorite classic story? So uh, first, a tiny bit of backstory about this. I was the one who suggested this topic this week because... Um, I've been talking to my my mom just recently learned how to text message, which is maybe the most adorable thing ever. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, she she's actually, I think, better at texting than I am. I, I don't know. She's like really she likes feeling so connected, I guess, because my mom's on the whole other side of the country. So um, she's really excited that I'm in a comic book podcast because she's the one who got me into comic books. So she has been 
constantly suggesting topics for us to talk about. I have a list of topics that uh, she has that she would really like us to talk about. Let me put it that way. Um, and one of the things that she mentioned was she asked, are you guys ever going to talk about death of Superman? That was, as I've mentioned before, the uh, run that actually got me into comic books when I was like, you know, six years old uh, that she read with me. So I was like, you know what? We are going to talk about death of Superman. we're also going to talk about some of those other classic stories that uh, are like important to the genre of comic books. That's a- today's episode brought to you by Hannah's mom. Thanks, mom. Uh, so as far as like, oh gosh, as far as my actual favorite classic, that is super difficult. Um, Death of Superman is really high up there. And I think, I don't know if that's my favorite, but that's the one I'm going to talk about uh, because it was literally my introduction to comic books. And while it was definitely not the best story or the best Superman story or probably even like one of the top five Superman stories. Um, it was like, it was a really enjoyable book. It did everything. It did everything that it needed to do. Uh, and it had a very epic scope to it because even now, like a jillion years later, I just love the idea of this knock down drag out brawl between these two ridiculously powered individuals that, goes like across the country like they fought for states not like for the rights of the states no 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 like for the distance of states like they they fought for miles and miles and uh i, I don't know and doomsday was before they actually cleared up his backstory a really creepy scary villain cool i think the backstory when he first showed up right pardon he had no real backstory like that. The death of Superman was the first time he was ever in the comics. Like he just like came floating out of space. Right. Uh, yeah, that's mostly right. He had one of the creepiest introductions that I've ever seen for a character where like stuff was happening in the comic and then it would just cut to a panel of him. Uh, but you couldn't see all of him, just like his creepy, like bone clawed fist thing hammering through this like um hatch in the ground and it would just say doomsday is coming and nobody knew what the hell that meant nobody knew what the hell was going on just doomsday is coming and like this like one shot and then in the first like issue of the comic it would intersperse to him hitting it and hitting it and like opening it more and more and more until finally you see him and at first he's wrapped up in this like crazy um straight jacket looking thing and you can't even see his face just big red uh lenses for his eyes and for, like, I want to say the first couple of issues, his arms actually bound behind his back, which is just really creepy because he's, like, tearing through, like, the JLA with one arm tied behind his back. So it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But it was very atmospheric, if nothing else. I think, though, that we have to and should consider nostalgia as being a completely legit reason for loving an old series. I just... It's it brought you into the into comics. It's got that there. I just don't see what's the problem with it. Yeah, it's you recognize it's not the best, but it has to have a special place in your heart because it brought you there. So. Yeah, I I think you're no, I, I think you're totally right. Like that's one of the reasons we pick this topic, right? Is like favorite doesn't mean what do you think is the best, but what do you like the most? That's why this is the personal links feature, not the we rank 
you know, comic books feature, <laughs> although we are going to rank these with K scale, but uh, that's, that's going to be a fairly biased one, I think, especially for me with death of Superman. Cause yeah, it was literally my gateway into comic books. Yeah. Nick, what about you? Um, does it have to be a cape book? Nope. No. Does it have to be associated with any of the greater universes? No. No. Uh, Transmetropolitan. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, Transmetropolitan is uh, Warren Ellis's take on what is essentially uh, Hunter S. Thompson in the future. Um, it's very funny. A lot of uh, gag humor, a lot of black humor in it, but it's also just very smart. And it is not about the future. You know, it is about um, what is going on in the world sort of right now. Um, Republican versus Democrat, um, the, you know, innate hollowness of our political systems, uh, our sort of slow slide into uh, a kind of decadent um, tyranny. Yeah. So Warren Ellis, Transmetropolitan, it's fantastic. I don't know. There's a there's kind of this just weird sort of subgenre of comics that are large run um, comics so that they're not in the indie scene, but they're also not really, they're not really associated with what we typically think about comics like superheroes or uh, any of the larger Marvel or DC or image universes. Um, there's kind of their own sub thing. Uh, and uh, there, there's sort of like a, you know, the subsection of authors that usually has the opportunity to produce books like that, like Warren Ellis, um, Garth Ennis, um, and J, you know, Jam Straczynski. And they are, almost always very worthwhile uh, to pick up and read. Um, Transmetropolitan, Preacher, The Boys, um, Rising Stars. There's just kind of a ton of good ones out there um, that you, in terms of sort of the intimidation factor of getting into comics, you don't need to worry about that with them. It's very easy to pick these series up because they are isolated from everything else that's going on. Like you don't need to know crap about Spider-Man to read Transmetropolitan. Now, and it's really interesting too, because um, we're going to touch on this a little bit later on when we talk about image comics, uh, the publisher, but like, a couple of years ago, it was a little bit weirder with those titles just because there weren't that. I mean, there were there were a decent amount of them, but it was nothing that was nearly as nothing that could contest with superhero books. Uh, and within the last few years, and I really do mean like few years since maybe 2012, a lot of those independent, not indie, but independent universe comics have really, really taken off and become some of like the flagship titles of comic books now. Like Saga is a really good example. Yep. Rat Queens. Yeah, yeah. Rat Queens is great. Rat Queens yeah. is on my list of books to read. Uh, honestly, what I think we're seeing is just the the fallout and echoes of the popularity of the MCU finally reaching, you know, comics itself rather than just movies. Mm, I don't know if I would agree with that. Because I feel like that, I think it's more The Walking Dead, honestly. Because Walking Dead was the first non-superhero comic book that had anything that touched mainstream that just blew up. And I mean, Walking Dead is definitely something that is very responsible for Image Comics becoming what they are right now. And like I said, we're going to touch on that more later. But I, I think it's more Walking Dead than it is uh, MCU, in my opinion. 
That's possible. Hmm. It's a lot to unpack, and I'm not sure I'm ready to have all those conversations, but I do I do really like where we're going with these thoughts. So I think it's something we just keep talking about. Uh, what's your favorite classic story arc, Marty? My favorite comic book series, I thought about just saying some sort of a Daredevil run like Born Again, but I decided against that simply because when I got back into comics, the time when I had money, the first you know, when I was living on my own and had zero expenses and zero responsibility and zero understanding of how money works. I actually started buying comics based on recommendations of people who are like, this is, this is like a seminal work in comics. So of course I picked up Sandman and of course I picked up Transmet, but I, the only comic book I actually budgeted for and the only series I actually budgeted for was Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing. And I'm going to be more specific. I'm talking about the introduction of John Constantine and Alan Moore's tie-in with the Infinite Crisis reboot of DC. That's my favorite uh, classic comic story for at least this month. Just because it showcased what you can do with a character, tying it into an event, letting it breathe in the event, but not tying it down to the event. Uh, a book that introduced one of my favorite characters of all time who got short shrift in the new new 52 and just changed the way from a historical standpoint changed the way comics were being done and read and participating with so for me it's that alan moore run on swamp thing that is my favorite classic story but we're going to to narrow it down we'll say the run around the infinite crisis era yeah i gotta say like a uh if i was actually looking at quality over nostalgia obviously there'd be quite a few more titles i would bring up but uh rake at the gates of hell would probably be pretty high on that list uh that was an incredible hellblazer run so uh, anything uh, that that was really one of the most in- interesting introductions to a character and like uh, Constantine has some of the most I- interesting history and kind of like that meta history of like being on the edge of the DC universe like sort of in sort of not exactly and to be fair Rake at the Gates of Hell was one of my other favorite uh, arcs and I and then I'm not trying to be bougie about my picks and be like, oh, well, I picked this book because it's so... No, I want to provide and think about these things in a more in a different way. And you know what? We could ask this question again in a month, and I guarantee you I'll have a different answer. Did you so, say bougie? I did like say bougie. A short, trendy version of bourgeois? Yes, I did. You're never allowed to use that word again. What? No, that's amazing. I was over here like, that's great. I'm going to use that all the time. What? I mean, there are some bougie mother in this, uh, in our, in our field. And, uh, hey, that's what works for them. But I'm not trying to do that. I'm just being honest when I think about it. Like, Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing, when I started picking it up, showed me, like, comics can do some pretty, um, some pretty awesome things. So, you know, and I also, like, as much as I love Daredevil, I don't want to beat that to... I don't want to beat that horse. I don't want to kill that horse. I want to save that for later. Uh, and I'm, I'm 
I'm self-cutting this whole section because I almost started to talk about comics that uh, changed our perceptions about comic books. But that's like a whole like really yeah. good soul link feature. We so. should do that next week. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. So you want to wrap this one up? Yeah. So, guys, we have to wrap this segment up and we have to do that in terms of our patent pending K value scores. So, Hannah, where do you give uh, what's your K value for the death of Superman? My K value for death of Superman, I think, is going to be seven point uh, seven um, better than average. Definitely not a one, definitely not even a point eight, but it opened up like it was a movement. It changed like we changed ages in comic books, kicked off like they killed it burst the comic book bubble. It has a place in history and uh, both for like the meta history behind the title and the fact that it's pretty iconic. Yeah, I'm going to give it a point seven. Cool, 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 cool. Nick, what about you? I would give Transmet a point nine. Um, the writing is so fantastic that you're going to want to go back to it again and again. But it's also quite topical for the time period that it was written. So I think that in another, you know, ten years, fifteen years, the newer generations will lose touch essentially with it. I think every four years, Transmet becomes poignant, poignant again. I mean, it's definitely poignant during election season. Yeah. For me, I'm going to have to give Swamp Thing a one. And I think this is the first one I'm giving just because it is a seminal work. It Because the art was fantastic. The words, the, the script was brilliant. Um, what it did and how it launched or helped launch Alan Moore and it brought Swamp Thing into this book that you throw people in to see if they become amazing writers. So Swamp Thing, so Alan Moore's Swamp Thing is a is a one for me. That's well-deserved. I, I would completely agree with that. I have to agree with, you know, I mean, I read The Death of Superman a long time ago. And I would have to agree. About point seven is good because it did have repercussions throughout the industry. And, of course... Uh, Transmet gets a point nine. I mean, just of course it does. There could be, you could go higher, but you can't go lower. So, yeah, Death of Superman suffers from uh, just dated writing. Honestly, yeah, I reread it uh, within the last year or so, and uh, it's it is what it is. But I think a point seven is is pretty appropriate for it. All right, everybody, now that we've given our K values to our classic favorite storylines, we're going to move on to my favorite topic, the pull box, also known as what we're into. So you should be too. Nick, why don't you start us off this time? What should we be into? So uh, Hannah has actually been talking to me for, I don't know, six months or something like that about Loki and how awesome the Loki story has gotten. Uh, Loki was never really my favorite character. He was all just always sort of just a, you know, I don't know, like one of the most generic schemers in Marvel comics. Um, one of those guys that every time he pops up, you're like, him again. Why do people keep trusting this dude? Why does he 
Why is he? If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Been able to, you know, uh, pull these schemes off. And, uh, Hannah pointed me first to uh, Thor uh, issues 610 through 620, um, which take place uh, immediately after Loki has died. He has died because he arranged for this enormous siege on Asgard that got out of hand. And for whatever reason, he decided to sacrifice himself to save the majority of Asgard, uh, and he died. And during this run... Uh, Thor is continually thinking about the time that they spent together as boys and he decides that he misses his brother. So he goes and resurrects him and Loki is resurrected in the form of this like 14-year-old uh, street kid in France playing the pee and shell game with people when Thor tracks him down. And Journey into Mystery uh, essentially – picks up with the story of Loki instead of Thor when Loki is this uh, teenage a teenager. Um, he he has no memories of when he was the evil Loki and instead he is just sort of back to uh, Loki's mischievous uh, uh, origins rather than the evil that he developed into. I don't know. It's fantastic. It just does a, a, a spectacular job of splitting the concepts of mischief and actual evil out and showing you that while Kid Loki is certainly mischievous, uh, he is definitely not evil. It's also really important to note that um, Thor didn't exactly resurrect Loki. Uh, one of the things that you didn't read that happened before uh, that part of the Thor comics that happened uh, during the, the whole uh, Siege on Asgard, Dark Reign thing, uh, Loki managed to make so many deals with people in hell in the afterlife that he can't be killed because none of the afterlifes will accept him anymore. Oh, yeah. that is that is so Constantine. I love it. Uh, yeah. He he had his name erased from the Book of Hell, uh, so he can't go to Valhalla. And you know he made deals with Mephisto and everybody else. Um, 
And you, you actually find out his rationale for doing this right up front in Journey into Mystery, uh, where he contacts a younger, the younger version of himself and basically says, you know, I'm the ultimate god of chaos and, and what is more chaotic than uh, giving myself a second chance, like turning over a new leaf. Um, his entire explicit purpose for, for arranging the siege was so that he could die uh, not be not go to any of the afterlives and then be reborn to give himself another a second opportunity at life so that he could turn out different oh i'm so excited for you to finish this run <laughs> I, I'm, sh I'm sure it's all a ploy you know i don't trust that little raven eye coal but it is it's a fantastically told story so far so when we get the show notes up i will fire up marvel and uh I'll start reading it as well. I'll find time somewhere. Oh, that makes me so happy. This is it's it's my favorite run of a comic in the last decade. So I'm so thrilled that you guys are either going to read it or reading it. I, I, I'm really excited to discuss it with fucking somebody. I read it when uh, last year I had pneumonia for like a month and uh, I ended up in the hospital. And before I went into the hospital, it was one of the things that I was doing while I was waiting to figure out what the hell was wrong with me and if I was going to get better without going to the hospital. And so I read that entire run in like two days. And so I'm like hopped up on three or four different kinds of medicine. I actually uh, bruised a rib from coughing so hard. So I had a ton of painkillers in me too. And so I read that run. And as soon as I finished it, I like went to my husband and I just burst out crying and I couldn't explain why. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so worried and so confused. So it would be nice to discuss it while both sober, not dying and, uh, and not high in painkillers. Yes. Though I guess if Nick doesn't like it, if we got him Vicodin and then let him read Journey into Mystery, <laughs> we would know. Uh, I'm he sure it. he's going to love it. Here's the thing. The Thor run that leads into it is written by Matt Fraction, and the, the series itself is written by uh, Kieran Gillen. So there's virtually no chance I'm not going to like this. Yeah, Fraction's run has been recommended to me by my, uh, my, my LCS owner. So hi, Tom. It's good. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I read about the second half of it because I wanted to get that lead up in a journey to mystery, and I quite enjoyed it. Uh, Hannah, what have you been reading lately? So I think this is a first for us, but I actually want to talk about a DC title. Uh, I have been reading Gotham Academy, which is this very odd and really cool title uh, in the DC universe right now. Gotham Academy is um, basically like a almost Hardy Boys-esque mystery story uh, starring a bunch of teenagers that go to the Gotham Academy. The main character's name is Olive Silverlock, and she has some kind of history with Batman. You don't really know what. It just know that she really fucking doesn't like Batman. Uh, it is a mystery book like Gotham Academy is like this 
teenage version of um, Arkham Asylum, basically. Like, it's huge, and it's gothic, and it's creepy, and it's more of a detective horror book than it is a superhero book, which is pretty cool. Uh, and the art's gorgeous. It's a little manga-esque, but not too much. Like, if you don't like that, I don't think it would be a turnoff. Um, I happen to like that style, so I really like it. Uh, the coloring is great. Uh, the dialogue's adorable. The characters are great. The main character's sidekick is this uh, girl that's like a year or two younger than her uh, that they call Maps. And they call her Maps because she's constantly drawing maps for her D&D games. I love that. I love that. Love that. Love that. Is it drawn by Becky Cloonan? Yes. Oh, I'm a big fan of her uh, Southern Cross book right now. So uh, I, The style suits like the atmosphere of the comic fantastically. So... Just to be clear, Gotham Academy, it's like a reform school? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a school. Okay. Uh, I think it's mostly like that, like middle school and the high school area. I, I don't know. It's, it's Gotham, so nothing makes any sense and everything is a little bit weird. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's. <laughs> Uh, I really like where it started out because, like, it just started out with a shit ton of questions, and it is taking its time answering those questions, but not to the point of where it's annoying, like, you're getting more and more info every issue. Um, I just finished, I think it was issue number five or six, and there was a really nice twist at the end, and then they set something up for the next uh, story arc that's going to be a lot of fun. And they basically, the first story arc, put the cast together in this really organic way like you think starting out that it's mostly just going to be about olive and maybe her sidekick maps but it actually puts together this like mystery solving club that is really neat and uh it's absolutely something that i would recommend to anybody who's got younger readers who wants to get into comic books because it's definitely like all age appropriate but not to the point of where it's um like cloying or weird to read as an adult so in the first arc, do you find out why our main character hates Batman? Sort of, yeah. Okay. You don't find out all of the you don't find out all of the details about whatever incident happened. Uh, it takes place at basically the start of a new school year, uh, and whatever had happened happened over the summer. Uh, you find out a bunch of details. You find out like you get a good idea that it had something to do with her mom. Uh, and, you know, for some mysterious reason, Bruce Wayne is giving her a scholarship to this school, uh, which, you know, <laughs> that one's, that's pretty easy to read between the lines right there. Hmm. Interesting. You know what else is interesting? My book this week is also a DC title. It is the only DC title that I'm picking up. It's uh, Gotham by Midnight, Ray Fox and Ben Templesmith. I've been a fan of Ben Temple Smith since 30 Days of Night. And this art style, uh, long story short, the art style is perfect because it's the supernatural squad of the Gotham City Police Department. Jim Corrigan is on this team. And it's about some pretty heavy topics. And to give away any of that is to spoil the entire book, which I'm not comfortable doing. Did Corrigan come back with a new 52 or something? He was like super dead eight times over. Um, I am not the right person to ask. Didn't he become, um, oh man, the specter or something? Oh yeah. No, he's the specter in this. And 
the whole point of this is so he becomes the Spectre. But that's that's enough of a spoiler right there. Um, is he still a corrupt cop in it? He is not a corrupt cop in this. Or so far he doesn't really appear, he doesn't appear corrupt. So, at least not by Chicago standards or by Gotham City standards. Your mileage may vary. He was definitely a corrupt cop in Gotham Central. He is not, does not appear to be corrupt in this, and he is definitely the Spectre. So, but it's a, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, it's a, it's just a darkly drawn, dark colors book with weird greens and Temple Smith's iconic uh, human, how do I put, I don't know, I have a hard time describing Temple Smith's art style, but that's what it is and it's absolutely it's perfect like for this blurry surrealism or something yeah and it's per and it just fits the tone that uh ray fox is trying to accomplish and he goes he does it very well um it's the it's like one part x-files one part batman one part call of cthulhu so i recommend it i think it's been a, it, the the first arc just finished the trade should be coming out in a couple of months or a couple of weeks even just highly recommend the book. Are there any other like well-known DC characters that show up in it? Or is that too much of a spoiler? Well, Batman shows up. And I hope oh, you guys that's a surprise in a Gotham title, really? I know. Did um I hope you guys I didn't like make too much noise as I went. I have it right here. Um I don't recognize any of the characters, but I again am not the right person to ask. So the team is made up of, man, I don't even remember that they're all their names. I just remember what they do. But there's um, a medical examiner who's kind of weird. Basically, the um, somebody from Internal Affairs who I don't recognize as being a named character, Sergeant Rook, I think. Yeah. And then some lieutenant, and then a sister. So no, I don't recognize any of these names. But uh, Lieutenant Weaver, is that a big deal? I guess not. Lieutenant Weaver's probably not a big deal. I was Googling it, sorry. Oh, sorry. I don't know if Hannah and I are the best targets for this either. I think No, it... I, I don't think that that... No, Sam Weaver, uh-uh. I, don't, I think Hannah would be the, the best target out of all of us for this. Uh, Midnight Shift consists of Lieutenant Weaver, Detective Lisa Drake, Sister Justine Zandortar, and yeah, Jim Corrigan. No, those look like new characters, or at least characters I'm not at all familiar with. Um, Man, that art is cool, though. Yeah, that's, the art is very cool. So I recommend it. It's uh, a DC book that's up my alley. Um... It's street level, but with a little bit of hidden occultism, which I find fascinating. So, yeah, Gotham by Midnight, and it's going to continue. I don't know what's going on with Gotham by Midnight during the Convergence stuff, but I can't imagine Spectre is not involved in Convergence, so we'll see. Is anybody willing to drop a K value on their books that they are into right now? 
Uh, I'd say right now Gotham Academy is probably like uh, 0.6 or 7. Like it's, yeah, it's better than average. Uh, I'm digging it. It's hard to tell though because there's, it's a little bit like uh, what Nick was talking about with Wicked and Divine the other week. It's hard to tell when it's a mystery story and so much of the plot is tied into the mystery. Yeah. Nick, what about you? He should not rate that until he's finished it. Okay, that's fair. With the f- <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna step in there as the person who's given that. I think I gave that a point nine five. I think I gave Journey into Mystery a point nine five. Oh, I think it's- you gave it a one. I, I think to- I pulled myself back a little bit just because there were some like crossover issues that were a little bit forced. But yeah, he should definitely finish. You should both read the whole run before mm-hmm. assigning a K value on that. You totally yeah, I had my mute on. And I was sitting there shouting at you guys. <laughs> at so, least. Uh, podcast the other reason uh i wouldn't rate it is that uh not only is the k value of journey into mystery dependent on you know finishing the actual journey into mystery storyline but it extends further into loki agent of asgard like it's really just like the thread is is one continuous story and it's not done yet well i would argue that a little bit in that gillen's run on journey into mystery does tell a complete story. It absolutely tells a complete story. He just happens to be able to pull a really important thread of that story into Young Avengers, which then follows into Agent of Asgard. So I think it's definitely uh, possible to assign a rating to Gillen's run on Journey into Mystery, uh, but the rest of the material is important to the character. Done. I would give Gotham by Midnight a point five right now. So average, which for me is a good place to be. You know, it's not a C. That's just where it should be for me to continue reading it. I think over the course of the show, you guys will hear us talk about a lot of books that have what we would consider high K values. Those are not the only books that we're reading. Those are just the books we talk about. We yeah. just don't generally talk about the books that we read and they're like have a point three K value. Like, you know, I, I read the first issue of the new Nightcrawler, and I would give that like a point two. It was just terrible. It was so bad. I kept reading it for too long, and I noped out. But we should really um, have our K values listed somewhere for our books. We need an intern to listen to what we've done and then make the K values for us. We'll set up a permanent page on the Tumblr for it. The yes. intern will. <laughs> is the intern Genghis? I, I just, I really want Genghis to be involved in this podcast. <laughs> Genghis can be locked, y'all. Yeah. Done. Okay. Now that we know some of our favorite stories, and we know what we're into, so you should be into it, we should talk about, very briefly, how we're reading our comics. We're talking about you know, do you read paper? Do you read trades? Do you read back issues? Are you digital only? So guys, how are you reading your comics? Uh, so I mostly am a brick and mortar. I am very, very lucky to have a really rad comic book store right around the corner from my apartment. And that is uh, here in Seattle, Phoenix Comics and Games. Uh, and that- Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Address is actually 113 Broadway East. Uh, it's on the Capitol Hill neighborhood. I say that because if you are in this area, um, you should absolutely go to Phoenix. They are fantastic. They're really great about getting people into comics, helping um, people find what they like. Uh, we actually, I run my weekly tabletop game there too, because they're just so awesome uh, in there. Really great at making everybody feel welcome. Uh, and that was the store that was mostly responsible for getting me back into comics, because as soon as they opened, I was like, I can have a pool box again, because it's, I can walk out my back door and into their store. <laughs> so it's going to make it really easy for me. Um, that being said, I was fantastically gifted uh, Marvel Unlimited by Nick, and that has really helped me catch up on stuff that I've been wanting to read. And that's really the only digital comics that I do at all. Nick, what about you? Uh, I pretty much use just about every available method of grabbing and reading comics. Uh, in terms of the, the physical stuff, I have my pull box at Golden Age Collectibles down in Pike Place Market in Seattle. Which is – honestly, it's a great shop. It's the oldest comic shop uh, that's been running continuously in Seattle. Um, the people there are super nice. Uh, the stuff is easy to find. Uh, it's a good shop. Uh, the, my other favorite store in Seattle is The Dreaming uh, down on University, uh, which is run by Aaron who is possibly the nicest person ever. And if you go in there, he will talk with you about comics for as long as you want. Uh, so you should go buy some stuff from him. Um, I use uh, Marvel Unlimited uh, quite a bit, uh, reading it on my iPad, like especially on the bus. Uh, pretty much the only thing I don't read comics on is my phone because it's just too damn small. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, oh. Marvel on, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Hannah. Go ahead. Uh, I read my Marvel Unlimited on my phone. I, I haven't actually had a problem so far. I've got a pretty decently sized phone. The only time I've had an issue is fucking trying to read Infinity. Because there are some blocks of text in that series. Oh, yeah. So I was worried that I was um, the only one that was doing brick and mortar stores. And I don't know why that was. Because, Hannah, you've been talking about your store for forever in terms of our podcast. Um, I am primarily a brick and mortar guy for all things comic related. I have a Marvel Unlimited subscription that I use for back issues and to look into stuff so I know what I'm talking about and just to, to binge read. It's like I, it's my comic version of Netflix. A uh, comic book Netflix is a really great way to describe that service. I, I really agree with that. And I'll be honest, if 
Image or DC or Dark Horse had the same functionality of Marvel Unlimited, maybe implementing it better, I would totally subscribe to them as well. Um, I mean, I want my Hellboy, and uh, I, I'm missing out on Hellboy. I um, have a couple books that I pick up only in trade. That's uh, Lazarus, and that's pretty much it right now that I only pick up as trades. I pick up everything else as a flop, and then Marvel Unlimited is for stuff that I want to get into, but don't want to vote with my dollars, if that makes sense. Like, I'm going to pick up Captain America, regardless of who's writing it, because I'm not going to stop reading Sam Wilson as Captain America. Like, that's just, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to give it a 0.4 or lower K value, but I'm going to keep reading it because I think that's an important thing to do, to support that idea. No, I can uh, totally get behind that. I definitely support brick and mortar as much as I can. Uh, for me, I guess Marvel Unlimited is pretty much all about the fact that we have access to the archives. So we can go back and reread all of the old stories, catch up on all the stuff that's years out of date. I don't know where else I would be able to spend hours and hours and pay like nine bucks to read literally hundreds of dollars worth of comics in a couple of days. Oh, yeah. I, so I'm. I got Marvel Unlimited maybe, I don't know, two and a half months ago or something, and I am certainly at down to like maybe 75 cents, 60 cents a comic or something like that at this point. Yeah, the return on the investment is ridiculous. And then I'm going to go back and I'm planning on reading the Fantastic Four run like from one to wherever it ends. I will even read James Robinson's run, which I poo-pooed recently. But... um. I mean, that'll just that's a that run itself was thousands of dollars if I wanted to read it as a flop, but that would be just ridiculous because really I'm not going to buy Fantastic Four number one and then take it out of the industrial strength sealant that keeps it safe from the environment. So, you know, and the Fantastic Four number one was one of those comics that I grew up hearing about as the oh yeah I totally had a copy of that in a box and then your grandmother threw it away. You know, I had a mentor at the office who had the same thing from the X-Men to Fantastic Four to Green uh, Green Arrow. My old mentor was a little bit of a communist too. But you guys get a shout out to your stores and I'm going to give a shout out to mine. Uh, I go to First Aid Comics on Taylor. Uh, Tom is my comic book dealer. He has been, let me explain how awesome this guy is. I used to bring some of my kids and it also just, occurs to me that I've been saying kids and clients and we haven't told people that I'm a probation officer. So, <laughs> Oh wow. You are super right. So what I do for a living is I work with kids who've done bad things. And some of them I take to the comic book store with me because if I buy a kid a $2, $3 comic book and they stay inside at night and read that instead of going out and shooting somebody or getting shot at, which is more likely the case, $3 to save a kid's life. It's actually been really helpful as my as a tool in my uh, treatment toolbox, as, as if you will. Anyway, Tom has been super good to the kids that I bring in. 
He has not once in my presence talked down to anybody around. He doesn't recommend fables to every woman who says, I'd like to get into comic books. He's just been just this super awesome, nice guy. So nice, in fact, that I have bought him a Christmas present and I invite him to comic book related events all the time because he's just the nicest, most organized comic book guy I've ever met. Tom has also let people run events in his store. He sells magic cards. First Aid Comics on Taylor gets a 1.0 on the Kirby scale just because Tom is a mensch and I appreciate all the work that he's done and how he has treated me and he goes above and beyond and I love it. Yeah, Phoenix Comics definitely gets a one from me. Like you mentioned, like um, screwing up a pull box once or twice. Uh, I had subscribed to a comic. I can't. I think it might have been Shutter Number One, uh, and it got screwed up going onto my pool list. And I was kind of disappointed because I really wanted to read it. Uh, Nick, the guy who runs uh, Phoenix Comics, he went to like. He went to the distributor, and I think he went to three different shops to find me a copy of it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and there was no upcharge or anything. It was just the normal price, but he, like, hunted up and down and back and forth and left and right. And they they are so great at that shop about going out of their way to help you find what they want. Um, I bought my mom the um, Saga Deluxe Edition for Christmas, and I had mentioned that I was going to uh, order it from them. And I was just like, uh, I guess I'll have to ship it by for I'll have to ship it myself. I really don't want to. Nick's like, no, don't worry about it. We'll ship it for you. What's our address? Oh, that's super cool. Next yeah. time I'm out in Seattle, I'll go to both of your stores. I've actually been to Nick's store, and I bought um, Cold War unicorns from there. The so. Golden Age is a great store if you want to go in and you know what you want and you know do a little bit of shopping around for comics. It's not really like a go in and hang out kind of place. Like the the people there are super nice. Uh, there just isn't a room in there, and it's in Pike Place Market, so the turnaround time in that store is very fast. Like there's just people coming and going all the time. Uh, but the dreaming is definitely a hangout kind of place. Like that's the kind of place you go and you just, you know, put your boots up and spend you know, five or six hours shooting the breeze where they aren't about comic books. Nick, you're, you're getting really, you're breaking up again. Um, is it a mic issue or is it a network issue? You think? Uh, I've just been mumbling. No, it's no, it's pixelated. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's every time somebody message text messages me i think like on gtalk or something it's not getting any better though am i still pixelated a little now bit it's better. yeah it's yeah. getting better that's weird that's okay it's just one uh, of the things we have to deal with man yeah yeah it just sounds really rough for some reason not so much pixelated but just like rough like you're in a wind tunnel When we're going to lead our raid from his helicopter. Fucking God. <laughs> yeah, I really like the Dreaming. Uh, I used to actually play Friday Night Magic there all the time. Uh, and that is a great store for comics. Oh, there's actually, if you Google First Aid Comics, Tom's got an article. Anyway. It's uh, through the Chicago Journal, which is not a publication i recognize anyway 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 when we talk about reading comics we have to talk about how our people recommend comics and if it's in a 
small store, you get those personal recommendations. And if it's a large store, you may not, but they'll have displays. This ties directly into the idea of our next feature, the rise of image, mostly because the conversation I had with my guy Tom was simply, image is fucking killing it. And I'm not dropping the F-bomb lightly here. Every week for the past month or two, I have been adding regularly an image book to my poll box. Like, have you guys been doing the same thing? Oh, yeah. I pull, uh, when we were putting our pool list uh, spreadsheet together before we actually started doing the podcast, I realized I'm pulling almost as many image titles as I am Marvel titles, and I'm pulling about double the number of image titles as I am DC. Nick, what about you? Uh, I'm not. I'm really just kind of getting back into comics right now. So I'm playing a little like catch up with Marvel and DC, like, you know, I was talking about before Journey into Mystery. Um, I'm going back and reading a lot of classic storylines and I'm, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm catching the good stuff that's going on right now um, that is sort of uh, guaranteed to be good as opposed to it might be good. Um, a lot of images stuff starts off strong and then kind of goes downhill over time. Uh, but I'm just, I don't know, I'm too into Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel and She-Hulk and, you know, Journey into Mystery right now to to start adding even more stuff to my ever-growing list. And to be fair, I do think there are a couple of image titles that we've, we've pushed you towards that, uh, like Wicked Divine Saga... Uh, pretty deadly is an image title. And did you read that yet? I know I loaned you that trade. This is one of my next things to read. I got caught up in my life as a weapon. <laughs> Fair enough. That's an, and that's, that's actually really funny. Um, because you know, they're married. Well, yeah. So Hannah and I are having this experience of every time we go to the store, like there's a new image book. Uh, for instance, this week I picked up and I meant to pick it up last week, but I, just, I talked myself out of it, but then I read some reviews. Oh, Invisible Republic by Gabriel Hardman, Karina Becco, and Jordan Boyd. It just, it looks just amazing. These torch ships flying that turn into stars. I don't, I have no idea what's going on on the cover from this book. And I want to know everything and I need to read it. And it looks gorgeous. But this is so... The week before, that's what I picked up this week. The week before, I picked up Southern Cross and Chrononauts. The week before that, I picked up um, something Descender. else. Descender. Yeah. The, uh, thank you for remembering what I talked about three weeks ago on the podcast. Picked up Descender, and they all immediately went onto my pull box. I can't afford Image being this good. And given the history of the, the company, I'm really surprised that it's still that it's actually churning out such good stuff so we're talking about uh the history of image a little bit do you want to kind of catch everybody up and give that kind of history of image in a nutshell yeah so and this is what i picked up from uh james viscardi's excellent podcast let's talk comics he had james valentino and rob liefeld on and they talked about the history of Image. So it's kind of first sourcey material. But in short, in the 90, late 80s, early 90s, a bunch of people from Marvel and DC, including Rob Liefeld, James Valentino, and Jim Lee, and Todd McFarland, took 
their talent to a completely different studio and created Image, where they owned everything they created, and anyone who came to them owned what they created. That's a very important part for a upcoming part of this history. And the characters from these early Image books were not super original. <laughs> like, to put it lightly. Yeah, to put it lightly, like, uh, Prophet by Liefeld looked like Shatterstar, which I know Liefeld created, but it was basically like the born-again Christian version of Shatterstar. Yeah, Youngblood was essentially just X-Factor. And there were some... Every team had some sort of Wolverine-like dude on it. And, and it just, you know, it was bright colors, glossy paper. The art for the time was really great, except if you, you know, wanted someone who could draw feet. And it was just the dark ages of comics, because this is the time where everyone is getting into comics. You can buy your Spawn limited edition foil cover, blah, 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 that basically created a bubble within the market, collectors came in, and the image guys who were making a ton of money on their products just churned out books, printed them, used digital printing for the first time, and then they imploded. Um, Rob and Jim and James they and uh, Todd McFarlane, they all split up, went their separate ways, or fought and came back and sold off parts of their company. Eventually, Jim Lee went to D.C. and, and also actually started Wildstorm, then went back to D.C. Rob Liefeld has gone back and forth between Marvel, Image, and his own studios. But Image never went away. James Valentino has been in charge. And Eric Larson, I should, excuse me, I skipped Eric Larson. He's been around for forever in the company as well, creating Savage Dragon, which is still in print. And they've just used this model of creator-owned, you get the book together, and then they just distribute it. And really, like, that in everything that we talk about Image, both the the high points and the low points, the really most driving and important thing about the company is that it is all about the creator-owned properties in an industry that didn't do that. Right. So when Bob Kane about, you know, how much the industry used to allow uh, creators to own their stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's a good point. You know, you have Todd McFarlane, who does some great seminal work on Spider-Man. Rob Liefeld, who, when you talk to him about how wonderful his runs on X-Men and X-Factor have been, they introduced characters, they created some stuff that is iconic, that is classic. And they get nothing other than their page rates for those books. So on one hand, I'm super excited that creator-owned stuff gets to exist. I'm, I'm really glad that people like Kelly Sue and Matt Fraction and um, Brian, Jonathan, Vaughn. Brian Vaughn and John Hickman and Emma Rios and Fiona Staples, they get money for the books that they're making. I'm not excited, though, about some of the stuff that the early days of Image did, and I'm not super excited about some of the stuff that they're continuing to say. For instance, Eric Larson, and I'm going to definitely show note this, if I can, I mean... Let me put a caveat here, if I can find it and if it's true, but there's some a, a quote floating around that's attributed to Eric Larson where he basically is saying that Kamala Khan's costume is stupid because it's not showing off enough skin. Or it's implied that she's not showing enough skin, which is 
kind of ridiculous for a Pakistani-American superhero to be dressed in a sexy unitard, which oh, also I mean, sexy uh, unitard above is and beyond a, that. Yeah. She's like 16. Right. Sexualizing a, well, yeah, sexualizing a child. Let's go there. I or mean, image, image has never had a very good record with that. And a lot of it, the artists that have moved through that house have been uh, publicly non-supportive of uh, inclusion in comics, I think. Right. Well, I mean, in the past, yes. Um, that quote is particularly disappointing because in the last couple of years, Image has actually been really amazing about supporting all types of different artists and writers with a wide variety of characters and representation in their comics. So their work is actually much better than what <laughs> their people in charge are saying. Exactly. You're not going to get a book like Bitch Planet or Odyssey, again, a uh, Kelly Sue, Matt Fraction Productions, in a in one of the big two. It's just you're not going to get your gender-bent sci-fi psychedelic retelling of the odyssey at marvel and i don't think dc is going to put out a book like bitch planet which is yeah. your um female empowerment riff off of black exploitation prison exploitation film uh films which is also like you know what i want a non-compliant tattoo i need a non-compliant tattoo it's just such a you see the stuff that larson has said you look at some of the history of their books. Well, the history of the books part, I'm going to give them a, not a pass for, but I mean, that's how comic book, comic books have been sexualizing women for forever. And it's stupid and it's wrong. I mean, I'm going to, again, not give them a pass, but I'm going to not blame them for that when they've been instrumental in changing that over right. the last few years. Like they have been such a huge player in, in changing the way that women are No, not even just the way that women are in comic books, but like the stories that are being told in comic books. Right. And I think the history of image itself suggests that when you give creative control to the creators everyone's viewpoints and politics are going to come out in their art form and their art form is going to push the boundary and i think without the people at image right now like kelly sue or fraction or emma rios or fiona staples or brian k vaughn we wouldn't be being pushed to be more inclusive i mean this is and this is an interesting topic, I think, and as a continuing feature, would for instance, with with Wicked and Divine, and we know Karen Gillian and Wilson and who is the and McKelvey. McKelvey. We know that with Gillen and McKelvey and Wilson, they pushed the boundaries with Young Avengers with everyone being queer. Wasn't their first couple of books though, like Phonogram was an image title and that came out way before young Avengers, right? Not way before, but definitely before. And yeah, that was like their first big work. Right. And yeah. That was an image title. And so that gave those guys the opportunity to push boundaries. And I think I really do like the fact that image has got it. And modern image has been able to push those boundaries. 
but we can't really change or sorry for this. I really dig the fact that image has been at the forefront of inclusion, but at the same time, it's also got some of the same baggage that the other big two have. It's just shorter time frame, but also it feels like more concentrated BS if you want to put a too fine point on it, you know? Well, I mean, I think there's something to be said for like the creators who own their properties because it's so much about creator owned properties what they portray in their books and what, you know, what social stuff they put into their books isn't the same as the people who are running image because the people who are running image aren't making those comics. They're just, you know, publishing it. Right. They're doing the infrastructural things. Mm -hmm. So it's not like there's no editor looming over, you know, looming over a writer saying you have to break up this couple because Spider-Man is too old or, you know, erase some lines. She's wearing too many clothes. Yeah. Actually considered pitching some books to image in the past. Yeah, man. If I had any ideas, I would pitch something. So we've talked a little bit about where image started uh, and how that affected the comics bubble and the dark ages of comics. How did something, how did a company that was best known for a comic like spawn end up where it is today being such a huge marketplace presence? Like what happened where we (laughs) jumped uh, quite a level in quality and critical acclaim? I think it has to be brought down to Kirkman and The Walking Dead. That book has been a number one seller for for Image. It's made Image a lot of money. It's made Robert Kirkman a lot of money. It's also the center of the debate of creator-owned versus work-for-hire books. I mean, when you think work-for-hire, like the traditional page rates and stuff, you're thinking artists and uh, either you're thinking artists and writers who work on other people's property, right? Whereas Kirkman comes in and sells his zombie book and he owns all of it and he gets to make his mark that way. And I think that that's how image began the slow rise to the creator owned dominance that it, it is today. I mean, it's, it's number three and it's their plan is to push past and I think they can do it. They they can get pat. They can get like a penetration rate of twenty percent. I think that it's Kirkman and his work that has been pushing the boundary of the creator owned genre. Because before th- that book, there probably were other titles, but it's Kirkman's Walking Dead that's gotten people to be that's gotten image to where it is. And it gave it the ability to push and let other books come in. The popularity of the TV show was huge. Uh, Like that was just a massive boon because there were people who, you know, never even took a second look at comics who were getting into comics completely bypassing Marvel and DC. Yeah. Just completely bypassing the like two most ancient comic book powerhouses and going right to image and picking up Walking Dead. And it's something else though, when we're talking about I mean, and I, I did I've been looking into this because I've heard about these debates or this debate. But it's um 
when you think creator owned, you think image. You don't think Dark Horse anymore, even though it's true. Dark Horse does some creator owned stuff. But Marvel and DC are both, you know, the two big is one of the, you know the two big publishing, and you work for them, and they own the characters, and they own everything. You tr contribute to them. Bendis, um, who represents, you know, working for hire, talks about that when he was having his books at Image, he had to go work at a bat mitzvah after he won his Eisner for Torso, which, for the record, phenomenal book. I think Kirkman, Bendis, Rucka, Brubaker, those guys got their starts at Image. Valentino found them, got them in, pushed them to grow. And then some of those guys stayed creator-owned, and some of those guys went into working for hire. And that's why we're here. And The Walking Dead was a breakout success that can't be repeated. I don't know if it can't be repeated. Well, I, I mean, that's also a huge... I don't know. I just don't... I mean, it's got to... The, the book that comes after that repeats that level of success has got to glomp on right away to whatever monster or story that is flowing through the zeitgeist and i'm using that word properly like he, yeah, yeah you are no Kirk, that, that's that's true you have kirkman gets the oh i'm sorry go ahead oh no i was just saying that that's true you have a really good point there like the he hit the zombie wave just as it was cresting and i also think that the walking dead tv show despite some of the crappy episodes and not so great season two was able to keep the wave um, plateaued for a while. And we're, we may be cresting, we may be going down, but zombies are still a huge thing. I mean, the CW just released iZombie, so... Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is appearing in an independent film with Abigail Breslin about zombies. It looks like kind of like an indie zombie flick with Schwarzenegger doing actual a acting, which is just bizarre. Schwarzenegger and acting that just <laughs> yep okay <laughs> so Tom if you don't help me with these zombies then to hell with you shit <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying oh now I'm a zombie anyway yeah so images rise and the debate of creator owned versus work for hire has been huge so that's the history of image in a nutshell and it also breaks into the debate of creator-owned versus work-for-hire. And the rise of The Walking Dead has been a great, huge boon for Image. And Image's rise has also been really freaking good for work-for-hire people. I mean, without Image, there would be no Bendis. Without Image, there would be no Captain America 2. Without Image, we wouldn't have books like Bitch Planet, which... Also, I'm going to say, gives Kelly Sue the leeway to do some of the stuff in Captain Marvel that's pushing some boundaries, too. So, overall, the rise of Image has been a pretty cool thing. Make sense? Yeah, I totally agree. The rise of Image has been extremely good for comic books as a medium. The ability for creators to do some really awesome work on their work for hire books at the big two, but then also have their own creator-owned properties where they can really put themselves out there and take some risks. And then those risks are rewarded when these titles sell really well. 
So while Image does have some, it sounds like, problematic issues with its leadership that I personally would really like to see worked on, in general, their work is amazing for the comic book industry. It was even when those guys first broke off back in the 90s. Like, that was a huge shift in how people within and outside of the industry thought about comic books. So, uh, yeah, Image Comics, I'm going to give them, like, what, 0.9 on the K value? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to give Image a one. Problematic stuff aside, I think what they are able to do for some of my favorite authors and some of my favorite artists and some of my favorite colorists. Like, here's the thing about that. I didn't think about colorists until I started getting more into the, the sausage making of comics. And the colorists on Image Books really made me figure it all out um that being said the current my current favorite colorist uh works at marvel not exclusively but does a lot of work for marvel and is uh jordy belair has done some amazing work with color so gonna leave it there but i'm giving it a one because yeah even though rob liefeld can't draw feet he made it happen so that other a company could be created where I could get Odyssey, Bitch Planet, Lazarus, Invisible Republic, books that the big two just wouldn't do. I will say that when I was fourteen, I used to pick up Spawn books because Hey Man, Naked Chicks, and that's that is pretty much where Image started. So, looking at where they came from and what they're doing right now is pretty impressive. And on that excellent point, we're going to end today's episode of All Comics Considered. Before we close out the show completely, we do have a little bit of housekeeping, so let's get started. First and foremost, let's talk about how we disappointed Lockjaw. We disappointed him this time in a couple ways. First and foremost, when I mentioned Chrononauts, I said it was an image book, and that's true. It's also part of the Mark Millar imprint, so it's Mark Millar and image. Go figure. The second way we disappointed Lockjaw, our new favorite fan, Tim, pointed out that Mjolnir has been held by Wonder Woman and Storm. I then remembered the Black Widow held Mjolnir in a what-if spin-off of Age of Ultron. All of this is to show that Thor, in his history in 616, has changed dramatically, so the concerns about Femme Thor may be a little bit overblown. Moving on from disappointing Lockjaw, the staff of All Comics Considered is announcing its very first read-along. That's right, we're going to have a read-along with you, our listeners, and we want you to pick up, however you can, the first three issues of Jonathan Hickman's run on the Fantastic Four. It begins at about issue 570. It's totally worth it, everybody. Trust me on this. And we're going to read this next week. So read it, comment, get ready to talk to us about how you feel the first three issues of Hickman's Fantastic Four run is. Now, you probably know how I feel about it, but you'll find out in great detail next time. And that's all we have for this episode. You can find All Comics Considered on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, and Tumblr at All Comics Considered. You can find us on Twitter at All Comics Cast. You can reach me, Marty, at Officer Gleason on Twitter or Marty at All Comics Considered. You can find Hannah, totally a rogue, on Twitter or Hannah at All Comics Considered. Finally, you can reach Nick at Out of the Vault or Nick at All Comics Considered. You can also... Voice your concerns and displeasure at us 
to Lockjaw at Lockjaw at All Comics Considered. That's all we have for this time. You guys, if you have any questions, comments, vague misgivings, drop us a line, leave us an email, do us a favor, leave us some reviews on Stitcher and iTunes so that more people can find us and figure out that comics is supposed to be a positive thing, because that's our goal. You'll find us here next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Take care, everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.